verses 12 to 32. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they'd been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. In talking today about this amazing episode in the life of the early church, I want to start by backtracking, stay with me, to Luke chapter 4, when Jesus came to his hometown Nazareth and he read from the book of Isaiah. It was a scroll, but we call it chapter 61. In the synagogue, and he said this, can we have it? Let's read it together. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So we just leave that up. And Luke goes on to tell, that, tell us 
But Jesus then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What happened afterwards, of course, was that Jesus was rejected as a prophet in this his hometown. He went on to cite the examples of the widow of Zarephath, Naaman the Syrian, in the lives of Elisha and Elijah and Elisha. He was warning the people of Nazareth and indeed Israel in general that if they rejected him as Messiah, the blessing of God would go to the Gentiles. And they were so angry, it said all the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So why am I citing this passage? Here's a question. Was Jesus talking only about himself when he quoted these words of prophecy from Isaiah? Certainly the whole of this prophecy applied to him. The gospel accounts tell us how he did all these things in a mighty and marvelous way throughout his ministry. But he didn't say, oh, this is about me, by the way. He said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The new messianic age of God was beginning, and it was going to continue. After he ascended to heaven, it brings us to the church of Acts, and us, this prophecy applies, I contend. Jesus said in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And this is, of course, what happened at the time of Pentecost. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to his followers, the spirit that brought Jesus to live in them. 1 John 4, John wrote, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And when Jesus appeared to Saul, the persecutor of the church, what did he say? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Not the church, but me. Jesus identifies, in other words, with his church, and we know that he lives in us by the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to contend is that Isaiah's prophecy and many other words of Jesus enable us to understand better that Jesus foresaw what Fee's been telling us about, the experiences of the early church, and it's got, I believe, an important message for us as well. And we can see this when we look alongside what Jesus quoted in Nazareth at what the passage today is saying. I'm trying to interweave these passages and I hope it will help you. Think of it like a tapestry. The Luke passage interweaves and helps us to better understand what we've heard from Acts. And I'm going to go through it phrase by phrase just to see how it links to what, we, what the Acts church experienced. What did Jesus say? Quoting Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And that's precisely what happened at Pentecost, of course, when the Holy Spirit came to live with and in the members of the early church and subsequently in every new believer that joined him. 
Jesus prophesied to his disciples at the start of Acts, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the spirit, my father, the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And of course, we heard from Thea that Peter confronted the Sanhedrin and told them, we are witness of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The Holy Spirit, in other words, is given to us too when we obey him. I think the Holy Spirit was doing something else in the Acts passage as well, which is that he was troubling the hearts of the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, when they complained. The apostles are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Jesus said again in John 1:16, the Holy Spirit will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Repeat after me, Jesus foresaw it. Jesus foresaw it. Going on with the passage, he has anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor. The apostles were in the temple court. Many people came to join them. Even after they were arrested and miraculously released, they didn't stop proclaiming the good news. They followed the orders of the angel of the Lord who said, go and stand in the temple courts. Tell the people about this new life. So they did that. They could easily have run away rather than putting themselves again at risk. It's, the, it's like the way Jesus himself resolutely went to Jerusalem knowing he would face death. So preaching the good news, of course, is also what Jesus told his disciples to do in the Great Commission. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. The good news for the poor was preached by the, the apostles in the, in the church of Acts. The good news is for the poor. What does that mean when we think of poor? I think we can think of two things. One is the good news of salvation to those who are spiritually poor, knowing that we can never be good enough to earn God's forgiveness. The forgiveness had to be accepted as a gift from him. We can only say, like the tax collector in Jesus' parable, God have mercy on me, a sinner, amen? Knowing, what does it say up on the wall? Have you noticed it lately? Read it, to, read it out. Amen. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This spiritual poverty that Jesus referred to in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The message is good news for us who are poor in spirit. Amen. But in a second meaning of the good news for the poor is the way the early church shared their possessions. We've heard in last week's sermon, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Those who owned land sold it, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to everyone who had need. Repeat after me, Jesus foresaw it. Amen. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And that phrase of Isaiah that Jesus quotes doesn't of course does of course refer to exactly what Tanya was mentioning earlier, breaking the chains, setting free the prisoners, amen? That we might walk free and chains broken. It refers to salvation that frees everyone who's spiritually oppressed, addicted, unable to break out of a cycle of 
sin and failure in their lives. It's the sort of sit freedom that the apostles' healing ministry and deliverance ministry provided. So that's one meaning of good news for the poor, freedom for the prisoners. But the applications also, I think, how the apostles were miraculously freed from the jail. Remember what happened. It said the high priest and his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. I believe what we're saying, what is being said is that God stands behind those who, like the apostles, were persecuted for their faith. In the scripture, we can think of Daniel in the lion's den, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. I'm also reminded of a similar episode in the life of the Chinese evangelist, Brother Yun, whose book, The Heavenly Man, some of you may have read. Because like the apostles, he was imprisoned for his faith, for proclaiming the gospel. And this is what happened. There's at least three people who speak Chinese very well, so I hope I'm going to say the place name right. After many years in, the, in prison, he escaped from Zhongzhou, maximum security prison, from which it is reported that no one had previously escaped. He described how he heard the voice of the Holy Spirit telling him to simply walk out of the heavenly guarded prison gate. Despite the risk of being shot to death on the spot, he wrote later, he obeyed the voice, walked straight through several prison doors that were somehow left open, in front of many prison guards, across the prison yard, and finally out of the main gate. He stated it was as if he became invisible to the gods who stared right through him. And although many expressed doubts that such a thing could happen, some prison guards have lost their jobs for this embarrassing mishap. And it's reported that an official investigation by the Chinese government concluded Brother Yun received no human help in his escape. And these reports have been confirmed by numerous prisoners who occupied the same prison cell as Brother Yun. He remains the only person to have escaped from this notorious maximum security prison. So yeah, Jesus knew that his followers would be persecuted, some would be imprisoned. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And again, he said, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. Repeat after me, Jesus foresaw it. We're nearly there. Recovery of sight to the blind and set the oppressed free. Jesus himself, of course, healed many and cast out many demons when he has, was on, here on earth. And the early church, as we've heard from Fee, was tremendously active in healing and deliverance. They performed many signs and wonders, it said. People who were ill were brought into the streets, laid on beds and mats, so the shadow, Peter's shadow, might fall on those who passed by. It said all of them were healed. And those healings and the good news attracted many. So more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Jesus predicted this again at the end of Mark's gospel. In my name, he said, 
They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. When they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Repeat after me. Jesus foresaw it. And the last line here, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I think Isaiah originally might have been referring to the year of Jubilee, the time, the tradition that Moses proclaimed for slaves to be free, debts to be forgiven, land returned to the owner. And Isaiah was thinking also of the time Israel would be freed in the future from exile in Babylon, which happened. But Jesus, I believe, meant something wider when he talked about this. He meant the messianic age that he was inaugurating. Salvation would come. People would be freed from sin and all its consequences. This, friends, is the new life that the apostles were teaching, and they summarized powerfully to the Sanhedrin themselves. They said this. This is amazing, I think. The God of our ancestors, Peter said, remember, we raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. This, friends, in two sentences is the gospel. Amen? Amazing, succinct summary of the whole gospel. Let's read it together. I'll, I'll read it to you line by line. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. Whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior. That he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Amen. As Paul tells us in Galatians, the church is the Israel of God. The church of Acts and us today are brought to repentance and forgiveness of sins when we expect Jesus, accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Just one point I add is that the ascension is crucial. It's not just the crucifixion and the resurrection. The ascension is when God exalted Jesus to his own right hand as Prince and Savior, a key part of, what salva of the salvation story. Remember, too, as we think about their reply to the Sanhedrin, they were wondering whether they were going to be put to death, yeah? What the Sanhedrin were going to do to them. Jesus said, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So the apostles were so eloquent at their trial because God himself was guiding them in what to say. Repeat after me. Jesus foresaw it. And we could go further. The parallels in Acts to what happened after Jesus spoke in the synagogue in Nazareth. The people of Nazareth were furious with Jesus just as the high priest and the associates were. And they locked the apostles away, even as the Nazarenes tried to throw him off the cliff. And they were flogged, and later James and Stephen were killed. And as Jesus predicted, though, the good news would be rejected, sadly, by many in Israel, and would go to the Gentiles. So the early church was called to, by God to reach out. And that started with Peter's call, later on in Acts, to visit the Roman centurion Cornelius. So let me sum up 
I'm nearly on, nearly done, but it's clear, I think, that everything we heard about in this episode in Acts, Jesus foresaw. And what I suggest, we have the next slide, is that we read together how this passage applies to the church of Acts. Them. The Spirit of the Lord, read, read with me. The Spirit of the Lord was on them because he had anointed them to proclaim good news to the poor. He had sent them to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So yeah, friends, it's great to hear about the wonderful and challenging life of the early church, but what about us? What about us? I'm gonna be brief now, but I'm gonna suggest that our church life strongly relates to what we've heard, what Isaiah prophesied that Jesus proclaimed that the early church did. God, I believe, wants to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, for fulfilling the prophecies ourselves, like the church of Acts did. But he also wants to encourage us to redouble our efforts when we can, that all the world might know. So just go back to the next one, Tracy. We go back to the passage original. The Spirit of the Lord is on us. The Spirit of the Lord is on us. Is, it, is the Spirit of the Lord on us? Yes! The Spirit of the Lord is here with us. We're also the church that Jesus foresaw. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit comes to live in all of us when we become his committed followers. I think our challenge is this. It's what, the way Nicky Gumbel puts it. Is the Holy Spirit in us like the little pilot light on a gas boiler. It's a little flame that never goes out, but it doesn't warm anything much. Or is the Holy Spirit in us like the roaring flame when the boiler heats the water? Can we be filled daily with the Holy Spirit, full of passion for Jesus' gospel, becoming more and more like him? Then we may become more and more, even more, the church Jesus foresaw. The second point, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Yes, we do. Amen? Yes. We're also the church that Jesus foresaw. We thank God for the generous hearts that provide resources for the food bank, for the fellowship fund, the hidden acts of generosity for those in need within and outside the church community. Not just gifts of money, it's spending time with people when they're down and in difficulty. Let's just do that more, unlock our wallets, unlock our diaries, that we might become even more the church Jesus foresaw. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Do we? Yes, we do. Amen? We also are the church that Jesus foresaw. We thank God for Werner and Henny and the work of Open Doors, that we're a church that contributes to that wonderful charity supporting the global church where it's persecuted as the apostles were. Let's be generous too with our own giving to Open Doors and similar charities like Barnabas Fund and Christian Solidarity Worldwide. Let's pray fervently for those who suffer persecution. We might become even more the church Jesus foresaw. Recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Do we do that? Yes, we do. We are also the church that Jesus foresaw. We pray for healing for those who are sick or in difficulty. We seek to relieve those who are suffering spiritual oppression. 
But I would just say, let's not make it a specialized ministry for those who sit at, stand at the front. I pray, uh, my prayer is that prayer for healing could be a reflex for all of us. Whenever anyone tells you they're suffering, just ask them, would you like prayer? Pray straight away. We might become even more the church Jesus foresaw. And finally, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do we do that? Yes, we do. We're also the church Jesus foresaw. Without speaking, we can proclaim the gospel by our Christ-like behavior. But also, let's take a chance of talking to people about Jesus, the good news of the kingdom. Knowing the Holy Spirit will guide our words, even as he did for the apostles. Overcome our fears of rejection, as I mentioned last week myself, out of love and recount how Jesus transformed our lives. We heard from Nick this morning, yes? In the ambulance, she told the, uh, the, the medics about the hope that Jesus has brought to her. What an example that is. Let's become more, even more, the church Jesus foresaw. So as I close, I hope I've convinced you that not only the church of Acts, but us in the Pembury Baptist Church are the church Jesus foresaw. I want us to finish by reading the words Jesus applied, applied to us. We need to be reassured, my friends, that we as a church, even as we're challenged, we are that church, even as we're challenged to continue the mission Jesus has given us, anointed by the Holy Spirit. So as we read the last one together, the Spirit of the Lord is on us because he has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent us to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen.